Now, we're in this series entitled More Than a Baby, and the series rests on this very simple idea. The story of Jesus doesn't start in the manger. Now, we like baby Jesus. We like baby Jesus because he doesn't threaten us very much. Baby Jesus doesn't make very many demands on us. But the problem, of course, is baby Jesus doesn't stay a baby. And as Jesus grows up, that introduces tension in our relationship. But the truth is, there's been tension all along. And the story of Jesus really has four components. Uh, We talked the first week about how Jesus is the was, who before was before is. And then uh, today we're going to talk about Jesus the Savior. Uh, Last week we talked about Jesus the Supreme. We're not going in numerical order, but in in chronological order. Uh, Or no, we're not going in chronological order either. We're just going in the order of the scripture. And then uh, on Christmas Eve we're going to talk about Jesus the coming victor. So, the big idea today, Jesus the Savior. If you grew up in church, you've heard this, right? You've heard it probably all your life. How many of you have ever heard that Jesus is the Savior? Yeah. Even if you're not a believer, even if you didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard this. I mean, we just sang it, right? God rest you, Mary, gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Yeah, okay, you were paying attention. That's good. Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day, right? So we all know this, but what does it mean for Jesus to be our Savior? Does it help us if we change the word Savior to hero? You probably all recognize this guy, a picture of Sully Sullenberger. He was the captain of an American Airlines flight Uh, that uh, took off from LaGuardia, ran into birds, lost both engines, and then he executed a water landing on the Hudson. They called it the Miracle of the Hudson. You may not know this, but um, when uh, an airport, an airline, an airliner uh, reports the number of people they have on board, they call it the number of souls. And so he actually had to say, you know, we have 155 souls on board. And, and because of his skill as a pilot, he was able to execute that water landing, and he saved 155 people that day, and so we call him a hero. People who save other people are heroes. And so what if Jesus the Savior actually means that Jesus is our hero? So let's explore that. If you have a Bible, turn to Colossians 1, Colossians chapter 1. Verses 19 through 20. And I love these verses that we've been looking at in chapter 1 because Paul packs them so densely with big ideas. Listen to again to God's word. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, there are three big ideas in this verse that kind of help us understand what it means for Jesus to be our Savior, our hero. Here's the first one. If you want to know God, know Jesus. If you want to know God, know Jesus. Um, And we're going to come back to this theme again and again, and it's one of Paul's favorite themes. And, And the whole idea is that the fullness of God is in Jesus, we don't get to define who Jesus is. We don't get to define who God is. Uh, we were at a party uh, last weekend, and the party had several people that I didn't know, 
and didn't know me. And so they, they asked me, well, you know, kind of, what's your name? We get to know each other. And then inevitably, the next question is, what do you do? And what do you do for a living? So I, well, I run a ranch in Florida. I, uh, I have some cows here in Sumter. I write a newspaper column and I preach a little bit. And it's always the same. It's always the same. Uh, every time somebody hears the fact that I'm a preacher or a pastor, they always go, oh, I better watch my language. <laughs> and I tell them, I tell them, look, I've heard all of those words before. I can even spell them. <laughs> right? I don't like it when people define me. Do you? Do you like it? What makes you think God likes it? See, see, I think one of the most dangerous things you can say is, I could never believe in a God who, and then whatever else bothers you about God. See, God is who God is. We don't get to define him. And so this big idea of to really know God means you've really got to know Jesus. We approach God with an openness and say, okay, I'm interested in knowing who Jesus is so I can discover who God is because I would really like to know who my creator is. So let's look at verse 19. It's going to tell us some things. It first says this phrase, God was pleased. It reminds us that Jesus is not an accident. His death on the cross did not result from his bad judgment. It was all part of God's plan that God was pleased to do this. It reminds us that God is not random. God is an intentional God. If you want to know God, you can see the intentionality in Jesus, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. The second phrase in verse 19 unpacks this idea a little more. That God was pleased to reveal all his fullness. Now, what does all his fullness mean? Christmas. After you eat your Christmas dinner, you're going to understand what this word means. All the fullness. It means filled up to the brim. It means that Jesus is chocked full of God. The scholar Richard Mellick says, everything God is, Jesus is. He is not part man and part God. He is fully God and fully man. I want you to think about this. I want you to wrap your brain around this. If you want to know what it looks like for God to love the world, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it looks like for God to be gracious, look at Jesus. Just think of the grace that was required for Jesus to come into the world. The depth of God's grace that healed not only our sins, but can heal the entire brokenness of the world and the universe. Now here's the last piece. That God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. The word dwell means to take up permanent residence. What's the difference between living in an apartment and a house, owning a house? If you live in an apartment, something breaks, you call somebody. If you own your own home and something breaks, who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. It's you. It's you. When Jesus comes into this world as God with us, with all the fullness of God, he is coming to say, I am going to fix this world, I'm going to dwell in it, and everything that's broken that I didn't break, I'm going to fix. That's what it means 
for Jesus to dwell with us. It reminds us that God wants uh, to be with us. He is Emmanuel. Last weekend, we kept my grandson. We had one of those great porta cribs prepared for him to sleep in. You think he slept in it? No. No, the first night, first night, he wanted to sleep right up next to me. Yeah, he did. He just snuggled in there. And that was great till his toenails found my belly button and started digging for traction. But you know what? That was okay. I wanted him that close. Your heavenly father wants you to be close to him. And that's what Jesus has come to accomplish. So you can know him, be close to him. So here's the first big idea. If you want to know God, you got to know Jesus. And, and every relationship has a beginning. Every relationship has a start. And that's important for us to remember because we don't just drift into a relationship with God. We don't just drift into a relationship with Jesus. It is something we have to choose. And if you've never chosen this relationship, if you've gone to church all your life, if you've heard a lot about Jesus, but you've never intentionally chosen a relationship with Jesus, today would be a good day to do that. How do you do that? Well, you tell God you want a relationship. We often talk about the sinner's prayer. It's really a prayer of invitation. It, it, the concepts are these, and I've, I've given you a model prayer here. Heavenly Father, please forgive my sins. You ask God for forgiveness. Take charge of my life because apparently me running my life doesn't work. And I promise to follow Jesus the rest of my life. You won't do it perfectly, but Jesus is your North Star. And if you pray a prayer like that, even right now, you will begin your relationship with Jesus if you really mean it. And if you've prayed that prayer, then the next thing that Jesus wants you to do is be baptized. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment. Okay, so first big idea Know God means you know Jesus. Second big idea, Jesus rescues. Jesus rescues. Let me tell you a story to kind of help you understand this concept. Uh, this is a story that happened before I was born, but I have heard it all my life. My daddy had a little bulldog named Tinker. Tinker was a catch dog, uh, that, which means he would go up and he would bite the cows on the nose. I know that sounds cruel, but sometimes you have to get a cow's attention. And when the dog, you know, bit his nose, the cow started paying attention. It's just kind of amazing that way. And Daddy loved Tinker. You know, he was a great dog. And Daddy went off to work cows with some folks uh, that he did not know that well. And Tinker was really showing off, really doing a great job in the pens that day. And then when they had done, when they, everybody was done, these men loaded up their horses real quick and left real quick, which, you know, usually you hang out afterwards and talk a little bit. And then it came time for Daddy to load up. It was getting dark. And he couldn't find Tinker. He called and called Tinker, 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 where are you? And he got on his horse. He rode out in the woods thinking maybe Tinker had run off. And he couldn't find Tinker. It finally got dark. Daddy had to load up and thinking, oh my gosh, I've lost my best dog. Daddy loved that dog. Well, about a week later, he found out that those men who had worked cows with him had stolen Tinker. Now, where I come from, that's a bad thing. You don't steal another man's dog. So daddy got my uncle Pete and then went out to the house where these men were living. There was about three or four of them living in the house. Daddy got out of the truck, 
walked up on the porch steps and he began to holler. He says, y'all got my dog. These men come out and they come out not exactly inclined to give daddy a dog, but daddy can hear the dog start barking because the dog had heard daddy's voice. Dog's barking. Daddy says, that's my dog in there barking. I want you to give me my dog back. And these men looked at daddy and said, that's not your dog. That's our dog. Then daddy noticed the third man come out. He had a rifle right here. That's why I don't have to watch Yellowstone. You understand? (laughs) Uh, You need to know a couple of things about my daddy. My daddy's nickname was King Kong because he was not small. And my daddy, in addition to being a rodeo champion and a cowboy, was also an all-state Florida uh, lineman. And he was fast, he was big. And he sized up those three men on the porch, and the dog's inside the house barking, and daddy took off. Not away from the house. Daddy took off up the steps on the porch, knocked the two men down, elbowed the guy with the rifle, knocked the gun out of his hand, threw the gun into the house, opened the door. Well, he opened the door, then threw the gun in the house. Then he went in, grabbed his dog, Tinker, starts running back out. These men are still trying to get to their feet, and he's hollering at Uncle Pete, start the truck, start the truck, start the truck. (laughs) And Daddy gets into the truck, and he throws the dog in. They haven't even closed the door, and Pete's peeling out, and dirt and gravel is spinning. The man has picked up the gun, and he's firing at the truck, going boom, 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 and the truck is swerving back and forth. But my Daddy went and rescued the dog. Oh, that's my daddy. It's not me. You don't need to applaud. (laughs) If my daddy felt that way about a dog, how does your heavenly father feel about you? I want you to listen to verse 20. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether the things on earth or things in heaven. The word reconcile, it means that there's a gap between us and God. And God didn't put it there. We did. And you cannot bridge that gap yourself. People sometimes will say, I don't feel good enough to be a Christian. I look at them and say, you're not. None of us are. It's not about being good enough. It's about letting Jesus reconcile you to God, rescue you, and take you back across the bridge that he built. And I want you to realize this, that Jesus, more than braving men with guns and acting tough, Jesus braved the attacks of Satan, the cunning plans of men, and carried the weight of the sins of the world to rescue you. But that's not all. Paul says he came to reconcile all things on earth and and in heaven. We don't really understand the depth of sin and and its damage. We make light of it. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, it didn't just break their relationship with God. It, It rearranged all of creation. Something deep and profound broke in the universe. And I don't understand how all of this works. Let me confess that to you. I don't understand how all of it works. But I know the universe is not the way God intended it to be. I do not believe God ever intended there for there to be cancer. I do not believe God ever intended for there to be diabetes. 
high blood pressure, depression, anxiety, dementia, Alzheimer's. I don't believe God ever intended for there to be tornadoes or hurricanes or famine or poverty or people falsely in prison. I tell you, there's something deep and profoundly broken in this world and in this universe. And Jesus' death on the cross begins that reconciliation process. We get to participate in it at first. But on the day when Jesus returns, that is the day when everything in the universe that's wrong and broken gets fixed. It gets put back in line. You realize when there is a new heaven and a new earth, there is not going to be a hospital in the new city of Jerusalem. There is not going to be a need for a flood wall. There is not going to be a need for somebody to figure out, can we rate this for winds of 150 miles an hour? It is going to be the place where everything broken is finally fixed. Now, here's something important. So Jesus comes to rescue you, but he gives you the rescue you need, not just the rescue you want. Now, the biggest rescue you need is to be reconciled with God, to have peace with God. Doesn't mean you're going to have a trouble-free life. Doesn't mean everything gets fixed right now. What it does mean is the process has started. And it is amazing how many of us get unhappy with God's rescue, with God's plan, because we want to define the terms. Tony Campolo, a Christian author, tells about this. He had a man come to him and said, I am in agony, I'm in, I'm in misery, I don't know what to do. Tony said, what's the problem? And the man said, well, I, I am having an affair with my secretary and I love her, but I love my wife too. And I don't know what to do. And Tony said, okay, here's what you need to do. Stop the affair with your secretary, repair your marriage. The man said, I can't do that. I love my secretary. And Tony said, okay, here's the second option. Divorce your wife and marry your secretary. And the man said, I can't do that. I love my wife. It would hurt her too much. Plus, it would cost too much. Tony said, okay, here's the third option. Stop the affair, leave your wife, go off and get your head straight. The man said, I can't do that. I love both of them. What do I do? I don't know what to do. You just don't understand. And Tony said, oh, I understand perfectly. You want me to give you a magic solution that allows you to keep having your affair and not hurt your wife. And I'm telling you, that doesn't exist. Now, before you jump on this man, aren't we the same way? See, all the time I'm telling God how I want him to rescue me. God, I want to live the way I want to live. I want to do what I want to do. And, and then I expect you to come through with a miracle or two so that I don't have to change. Will you let Jesus rescue you with the rescue you need, not the rescue you want? So our key ideas so far. You really want to know God? Know Jesus. Jesus comes to rescue us. Now, here's the last key idea that we're going to unpack, and it is simply Jesus is the peacemaker. And we touched on this in the last uh, thing when we talked about Jesus 
rescues us. But you see, Jesus doesn't just rescue us and then take us to the other side and then say, okay, glad you're here. Hope you find your way around. You see, for Jesus to make peace between us and God means we have to realize something, that there is hostility between us and God. There's hostility between us and God. And you understand this. The Bible talks about the wrath of God. What does that mean? Well, let's just pretend, let's just pretend that you steal money from one of my kids. Am I going to be mad at you? Oh, you better believe it. It's going to be a real test of my Christian character. But now let's turn it around and say my kids steal money from you. Am I going to be mad at my kids? You're right, I'm going to be mad at my kids. And I'm not going to be mad at them because they've made me look bad. I'm going to be mad at them because that's not God's best for them. And if you steal from them, part of the reason I'm mad is because your sin has impacted my children. That's what the wrath of God means. Now, by the way, let me just tell you, my kids are not going to steal money from you, okay? God gets angry when sin destroys people he loves. Why shouldn't he be mad? I mean, isn't it true? You really get angry at the people you love the most. But God is different. Instead of just dwelling in his anger, instead of just eating it up or going passive-aggressive, God's anger turns into action. And so Jesus comes to make peace between us and God. And listen to how it's done. This is in verse 20. Making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Peace always has a price. Peace always has a price. Why was it that Jesus had to pay the price? Well, in Jesus' time, the blood of a person, the blood of an animal, was thought to contain the essence of life. And even today, we actually understand that. I mean, how long can you live without blood? Not very long. Jesus' blood was pure. Remember, fully God, fully man. Never sinned. And it took the purity of his blood to forgive sin and destroy its power and to set us free. And, and the shedding of his blood is the one act that is powerful enough to convince us that God really does love us and is willing to forgive us. And it really is the expression of God, for God so loved the world that he, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the power of Jesus' blood making peace between us and God. So if you feel distant from God, I want you to remember this. Jesus has already made the peace. Jesus has already made the peace. Now if you're not a believer... You need to accept that. We've already talked about that. But, but if you are a believer, here's the verse I want you to really let it sear into your mind. It's also from the book of Colossians, Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. 
Whatever troubles you have, let the peace of Jesus have the final say. You remember, you're a child of God. Jesus has brought you across the bridge. You now have peace with God. He's adopted you into his family. So when the doctor does say, I've got bad news, you remember you have peace of God. Let that rule your hearts. When you face trouble in relationships, at home, in a marriage, with your kids, you remember you've got peace with God. When you're all tangled up about some situation that you can't control, you remember you have peace with God. You remember you're a child of God. Now, I'm going to be honest and tell you, I don't get this right all the time. 50, 60% of the time, I get it. And those, that's the good part of my life. But you know, and I'm just telling you how dumb I am. The other 30 or 40% of the time when I don't remember to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart, do you think I'm happy those days? Do you think I'm, I'm pleasant to be around those days? Oh, I can put a face on and fool you, but what about when I go home? I'm telling you, when you let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, it changes everything. So what does it mean for Jesus to be our hero, our savior? It means we know God by knowing Jesus. It means Jesus rescues us, and it means Jesus is our peacemaker. So if you're a follower of Jesus, I just want you to think about what it means for Jesus to be your hero. So they were doing a, a, a class for the kids, and the teacher was asking all the little boys, who's your hero First little boy says, my dad. Second little boy says, Spider-Man. Third little boy says, Superman. The last little boy says, all the good choices are taken, so I'll take Jesus. No. Jesus is the best choice. He's the best choice. You think about what does it mean for him to be your hero. It means you walk with your hero. You trust your hero to, to save you. you. You trust your hero is preparing a place for you. And if you're not a believer, hey, today, why don't you start the relationship with Jesus? Why don't you pray a prayer, something like, Heavenly Father, please forgive my sins. Take charge of my life, and I promise I'm gonna follow Jesus the rest of my life. And if you've prayed that prayer today, sometime during this message, or if you're going to pray it in just a moment, then why don't you go ahead and be ready to take the next step and be baptized? We have some folks who've already said that they want to be baptized today. And you say, well, don't I have to go to a class? Don't I have to learn the Bible? Don't I have to learn to read Hebrew and Greek? No. All you have to do is be willing to get wet. Aren't you glad? See, baptism is a sign. We actually call it the ordinance of baptism. It's what Jesus commands us to do. So I hope you'll take that next step. So what's going to happen? In a moment, I'm going to pray. Then we're going to sing. There'll be several of us down here at the front. You just come up to one of us and say, I want to be baptized. I, I want to I follow Jesus. And, and we'll ask you, when did you invite Jesus into your life? You can say, well, just a minute ago. That's great. Or you can say, well, I, I did it a while ago. Um, but I'm just now really taking this step. That's okay, too. And then we'll, we'll take you back. We've got clothes. And then y'all are going to sing a little bit more. We'll change. And then 
We'll baptize, we'll have the Lord's Supper, and we'll finish out the service. I want you to think about, if Jesus is your savior, your hero, do you really know what it means? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, for him being our hero, our savior, the one who rescues us, the one who helps us have peace with you. Now, Father, I do want to pray for any who have not yet invited Jesus into their lives that they would take that next step. I pray, Father, for those who have done that and need to be baptized that they would have the courage to do so. And I pray that every one of us who've done those things help us remember that Jesus is our hero. Help us remember to follow him. So now, Father, please work. Speak to each heart, each soul. And thank you for being the hero who saves us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.